right, take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 tonight. I want to say it's good to have all of the uh, young folks back from college. Uh, it's good seeing them. Uh, while they're away, I promise you they miss our church. Um, they miss you. They miss their families. And it's not an easy task to be out there. You know, I went to California, and contrary to popular belief, Southern California is not all beaches. Uh, well, actually, it kind of is where they're at. It's all sandy anyway. There's just no water within 1,000 square miles of there. Uh, it's in the high desert, and it's colder there in the winter and hotter there in the summer than just about anywhere I've ever been. And it's terribly uncomfortable. It's awfully ugly. And uh, you do miss home when you're out there. And uh, as for Pensacola, that's a long way away. I can't say it's so much ugly, uh, but uh, either way, when you're gone, you miss mama's cooking. Uh, you miss mama doing your laundry. Uh, you, you miss uh, all the good things about mama. And, and dad's there, too. Uh, you miss dad's money, most of all. Um, but, no, it's, it's a tremendous amount of faith when these teenagers decide to go from where they've lived their whole life, a lot of them, or where at least they're comfortable with, uh, at, and then they decide to go miles and miles away. I think I read a statistic one time. 80% of people never move farther than 50 square miles from their home. And most people, they're comfortable living and staying where they're born. And it's a big deal to leave and go seven states over where nobody knows your name. And, uh, and so I, I just want to say it's good to have you all back. And while you're gone, you're still part of our church, unless you've joined another church, in which case you're kind of part of that church. But uh, we, we do miss you while you're gone. It's good to have you back. Matthew chapter number 2 tonight. I want to start reading in verse number 1. Now, you'll obviously recognize the passage as soon as we get started. Um, I do believe, though, we have a strange way of looking at it, which that's kind of the way I, I look at the Bible anyway. I'm kind of a strange bird anyhow. So I do believe, if you'll pay attention tonight, this may not be a sermon quite like you've heard before. Matthew chapter number 2, verse number 1, the Bible says... Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, What time the star appeared? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him... Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. 
I want you to go back to verse number 8. That will kind of be the springboard uh, verse for the sermon tonight. I want you to pay attention to what's going on here. Herod uh, is who it's talking about, verse number 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Herod sent the wise men to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless your scripture tonight. I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to illuminate it to Christians in this room. I pray that we would uh, honor the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would worship him in spirit and in truth tonight. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, I love Christmas, but I have to tell you, I'm just about sick of the charade. I'm sick of people claiming to keep Christ the center of Christmas when he's not at all even close to the picture of Christmas, much less the center of it. Uh, I recently came across some statistics, and the first few were done by a Pew poll. One in three people consider Christmas more of a cultural holiday than a religious holiday. When asked what people look forward to the most at Christmas time, 69% stated that time with family and friends was the reason for the season, as opposed to 11 stating that religious reflection and church was the reason for the holiday. Now that's alarming to me because you realize Santa was just a, a, a secondary benefit to Christmas. That was just a peripheral storyline. The main focus of Christmas ought to be Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, being born in a manger to rescue the souls of man from death, hell, and the grave. That ought to be the resounding theme of Christmas, but 11% claim that it actually is. Not only do these few people believe that uh, th- Jesus is the reason for the season. As far as what people believe about the Christmas story of Jesus, another survey was done in 2014, and they stated, uh, or they said a statement, and they asked how many people agreed with the statement, how many people were indifferent on the statement, and how many people disagreed with the statement. The statements were as follows. An angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. said they do not agree with that statement. 20% are indifferent on the matter. They're not sure whether it happened or not. And 28% of people who took the survey do believe that shepherds announced the coming of Jesus. The next statement, wise men were guided by a star and brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 44% of people polled said that they do not believe that presents were brought to Jesus from wise men. 19 said they do not know, and 37 said they do believe it. The last statement is, the newborn baby Jesus was laid in a manger. And the statistic actually holds quite true and very consistent throughout. 47% of people said they do not believe that Jesus was at all ever laid in a manger, 24% said they do not know, and 29% said they do believe it. Now, what I meant earlier by I'm sick of the charade is when a vast majority of people are attacking the very basis from which Christmas is founded on, which is the Word of God and Jesus Christ being laid in that manger as the Lord of uh, the earth and as Savior of the world, if, if... 
50% of people just simply don't believe that that is true, Christ isn't even close to being the reason for the season. It's all a charade. One year at youth camp, we always had a good time at youth camp, but one specific year I remember the older kids were allowed to stay up a little bit, longer than some of the junior high kids, and we kind of planned it out so that we went to bed earlier in the week so that the junior higher stayed up early in the week because everybody's exciting. You know, they're super excited about being away from home and being with their friends at youth camp, and uh, they're glad that mom's not there to tell them to go to bed. So what they do is they invest their time up late on Monday and Tuesday. But as older teenagers, we learned that it was wiser to invest sleep early in the week so that Wednesday and Thursday you could stay up and, well, not party, but it's youth camp, you know, do Bible studies and pray and stuff like that. And so I remember as the week progressed, uh, the older kids were starting to get to stay up later and the younger kids were all going to sleep because they were just exhausted from the week. And it's a rigorous schedule that we keep at youth camp. And and it's just tough because generally they say it stay up till 4 o'clock laughing at every noise that's made in the bedroom. Uh, uh, and I don't know why, but it's, uh, that's just the way youth camp is. And so they were all sleeping and we were, the older guys were up. It was about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning one morning. And we realized that there was not a single older kid or a single younger kid that was awake. All of them were asleep. And so we decided to play a prank on them. And I know pranks don't belong at youth camp. In fact, in the rules, it clearly states you're not allowed to do them. But it just depends on what your definition of a prank is, because pranks can sometimes be productive life lessons, and that's what we felt this was. And so I remember we all schemed together, and we, made this, we came up with this idea that we would all pretend to be getting up and getting ready for breakfast... And at 3.30 in the morning, we would wake them up and make them feel like they were running behind. And so at 3.30 in the morning, we made sure all the blinds were closed so they couldn't see outside. We made sure that there were guys taking showers. We made sure that there were guys putting on pants. We had this whole thing set up, and we said, What are you doing? You've got to get up. They just told us to get up. There's 10 minutes till breakfast. And these kids, oh, what? I'm so, what? You know, they're so exhausted. They've been asleep for literally two hours, and they are so dead dog tired. We say, You've got to get up. You gotta, no, you can't just put on your clothes. You've got to go take a shower. And so 3 in the morning, they're, they're kind of walking. They're so tired, and they go turn on the shower, and they're hustling. We're like, Come on, guys. We're going to be late. And uh, we, we had this whole thing planned out. It was so hilarious watching them leave the dorm. As they would open the door and realize it was pitch black dark and nowhere close to 8 o'clock. What was the funniest is one of the teenagers was so tired. They didn't realize that it was not natural for it to be dark. And they actually went and stood in line. They made it all the way to the cafeteria and stood there leaning against the pole asleep. It was amazing. It was all a charade. We had set up everything so much so that it was difficult for them to deny the fact that breakfast was coming. And they saw this guy getting ready and they saw this guy taking a shower and they had all the workers yelling at them to get ready. And, and they believed it so much that it had to be true, right? 
Man, this world is good at painting a picture that Christ still belongs in Christmas. But I promise you, the world no more wants Christ in Christmas than people want a porcupine at a balloon convention. Christ, the holiday literally bears his name, but if they could, they would change that. Nobody, the world doesn't want Jesus in in this holiday. And they've done everything that they can to make us believe their little charade. I want to share with you tonight three traits of a successful charade. First of all, in this passage, a confusing ignorance. A confusing ignorance. What I mean by that is the wise men obviously approach Herod here. And they've seen a star. Now this is a unique star. It's special. They've not recognized this star before. Most people believe that uh, these wise men were actually magi. They were astrologers. They studied the stars. They knew the stars. In fact, they were probably priests of some kind who looked to the stars for answers. And so these magi approach Herod and they say, we've seen the star. This star is not like any other star we've ever seen. As soon as we saw it, we knew there was something special about it. And we've traveled a very long way to come and meet this king who should be born. The king of the Jews. We've come to see him. Do you know where he is? And instead of Herod having a good answer, you know what he does? Okay, yeah. He had no idea what they were talking about. If anybody in the world should have known who they were talking about, it ought to have been Herod, right? If the star was perched over uh, Jerusalem, and more specifically over Bethlehem, would Herod not have been much closer to that star than those magi when they started? Oh, he should have seen it. He was in closer proximity to the star of Christmas than these magi, and yet they traveled so far to see the star, and Herod had no idea it was there. Now, if you don't know a lot about Herod, this probably doesn't seem so confusing. But Herod was actually raised a Jew. His father converted to Judaism. He was born an Edomite, and he converted to Judaism. Herod would have been born into Judaism. He should have known scriptures. He would have known all about the coming Messiah. He should have known about it. And yet he surrounded himself with people who should have known about it as well. The Bible tells us in verse number 7 that he calls the chief priests and the scribes. Their entire duty and their entire job is to let the king know and let the people know exactly what the scriptures say. And yet here come these strangers from a very long distance away. And they're the ones that have to deliver the message that Christ has come. And yet... All the while, they played kind of dumb to the whole deal. You see, Christian, I do believe that this world recognizes that Christ at one time held a place in Christmas. However, I do not even begin to fathom or begin to believe that this world either wants him there or that this world ever or could even recite the story. If you ask someone to recite the story of Jesus Christ and how he was born on this planet, you'd probably get something like this. Well, one day three elves walked into Santa's workshop. And these elves decided to build a manger. 
And it, is, it would be the most convoluted story you've ever heard because our world has painted this story that never belonged to Christmas and they painted this myth to be real and the real to be a myth. They're trying to remove the very foundation of the holiday. Christ is the reason for Christmas. It bears his name. You cannot have Christmas without Christ, and you should not have Christ without Christmas. It's a shame when people act so ignorant to exactly what Christ did for us on the cross and in that manger. Micah 5.2 clearly pronounced his coming. Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Thou, thou, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come uh, forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You see, Micah 5.2 was the prophecy. Matthew 2.5 was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and a son uh, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you were to be honest with yourself, this Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. When I went to Guatemala, one of the things that was the most amazing to me was how indoctrinated those people were with Catholicism. I mean, it is a cultural uh, a pillar. As soon as kids are born, they're thrust into the Catholicism. They grow up believing in Catholicism, and even those who do not regularly attend Mass would fight you on Catholicism's traditions. I remember specifically one of the most moving times of this was when me and Brother Lanny were walking around and in Guatemala, they make up these buses. They take some of the ugliest, beat-up church buses you've ever seen. And, and, and that's really Brother Lanny's business. He takes these terrible buses that can barely pick up kids on a bus route to Rio Vista, somehow limps them down to Central America, and these people turn them into glorious vehicles. They pinstripe them, they paint them, they make them beautiful, they chrome them out, and they go from just being a yellow church bus to being something that I actually want to drive every day. It's an amazing thing. We walked on the bus, and we began a dialogue with the man who was driving the bus. This man, you could tell, lived a hard life. He was not uh, clean cut. He was covered in uh, tattoos. He... Uh, obviously uh, was a smoker. He didn't, he, you, you could tell just from his uh, uh, business and his uh, job and his occupation that he had a rough life. Uh, Brother Lanny told me in Guatemala, well, actually in the world, that Guatemalan bus driver has the number one ranked most dangerous job in all the world. They come on those buses and they'll just shoot them just to send a message. And yet that was his job. And you could tell this guy was a, a strong guy, but you could tell he was not a, uh, what I would call a spiritual man. However, hanging from his mirror was a little Virgin Mary. Uh, all on his driver's seat was paraphernalia from Catholicism. And I was amazed that some guy who I could look at and obviously tell he had not donned the door of a, a church in, in a long while was sitting there surrounded by the things with which he had been indoctrinated with. 
Now, as a foreigner going to that land, I was quite impressed. Now, if you will, imagine if I go to Guatemala and grab that same man, the same bus driver, and I buy him a one-way ticket here to America, and I explain to him the reason for Christmas. I explained to him that it happened uh, over 2,000 years ago in, in a, a town called Bethlehem and how Jesus Christ was born and how all of America celebrates the fact that a Savior came to this world. If I take that man and I show him the sight surrounding town, and I take him into our stores and our marketplaces, H-E-B and Walmart, and I, I show him all of these places... How impressed do you think he will be and how convinced do you think he will be that Christ truly is the center of this season? Because if you walk down the aisles of Walmart, what will you see more of? Oh, you see a whole lot more of Santa Claus than you do see Jesus. You go down the streets, you'll see a lot more Frosty the Snowmans and Snow Globes than you will uh, uh, manger scenes. The truth is, it's become a charade, and the world wants us to think that it's okay if we believe our little game, but if they had their way, Christ would be ripped out of uh, uh, Christmas just like they ripped the Bible out of schools. It's a charade. And and it's a strange, uh, confusing ignorance that is uh, the first mark of a charade. Secondly, a concerned reaction. Verse number 3, the Bible says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. He was troubled, and I'm confused at this next part. The Bible says, And all Jerusalem with him. What's so strange about this is this is the man who they've been waiting for. This is the one. They're literally searching Scripture to find the Messiah. They're saying, where would the Messiah be born? They're consulting to find the Messiah, and yet Herod's goal is to kill the Messiah. It's an amazing thing that uh, uh, Herod here gets so threatened that someone else may be more, more powerful than him, and somebody else may rule over him, that he will do whatever it takes, including lie to the Magi, to get his way and to keep his power. What a strange, strange thing. It's amazing to me uh, as uh, these uh, wise men come to Herod and in verse 2 they say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And at this title, Herod held that, or at this time, Herod held that title, king of the Jews. You see, the, rep- uh, 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 the Senate of Rome had elected uh, uh, and put Herod in the place of being king of the Jews at this time. And so as these wise men show up and they say, where's the king of the Jews? You know what Herod's first reaction is? You're looking at him. Right here, boys. But they say, where is he that is to be born? And Herod says, well, can a man enter into the womb? No, 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 that's Nicodemus. That's John chapter (laughs) 3. No, he's thinking, well, is somebody being born that's going to take my place? Verse number 6, the the scribes tell Herod, for out of thee shall come a governor. Now that's a trigger word for somebody who's a politician, somebody a ruler. A, a, a governor shall come out of uh, Bethlehem that shall rule my people Israel. Now Herod was the one subjugating Israel at this time under Roman authority, but he was the one delegated the authority to rule over Israel. 
And yet he plays almost nice in front of them. Do you notice that? He doesn't automatically, he, he is threatened internally, but he doesn't let the, uh, the wise men know that. In fact, his words in verse 8 are, Oh, you go look diligently for him. Bring me word of where he is and I'll go worship him as well. What I've noticed is that in America, uh, people have no problem with this season where there's a baby born. You know what I've noticed? Babies are not threatening. Now, I've been to a lot of births and I've, I've yet to learn really how to react to all of them. I've, I've been there as the mothers uh, proudly present their child to me. And some of them I've been honestly able to say, what a beautiful child. Did you know that other ones I cannot honestly say that? Other ones I have to say, and, and, and preacher taught me this one, I must say this is a beautiful child. <laughs> Sometimes that child that you're holding and looking at isn't quite so beautiful. And you've been there. Don't act like I'm out on an island here. You've seen babies and you say, yeah, he should have baked a little bit longer. Left him in the oven. That's what my brother said. You should have left that one in the oven a little bit longer, Doc. And I've been there. But you know one thing that's never crossed my mind? Uh, when someone hands me a child, say, wow, what an intimidating baby. Why does that not happen? Well, well I'd say there's several reasons. Well, one of them is because babies are rather small. And they're not intimidating. They, they can't really fight you, so you, you could actually dominate that baby if you needed to. They, they can't verbally abuse you because the best they got is goo-goo-ga-ga. So there's nothing intimidating about a baby. You want to know why I think this world is okay with Christmas? It's because they're okay with Jesus staying in that manger as long as he's a non-threatening baby. But what they don't want to admit to and what they don't want to realize is that baby in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, doesn't stay a baby forever. In fact, his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. The world may allow us to set up our little figurines and our little nativity sets as long as Jesus stays in that manger and can't order people around. But the second when Jesus becomes Almighty God, the second when that baby becomes the Prince of Peace, Almighty Infinite Father, as soon as he graduates to that stage, that's when they're not willing to hear the conversation. They're not willing to entertain that dialogue. They'll say, you shut up, because no man is going to tell me how to live my life. I've got news for him. He's not a man. He is the almighty, everlasting Father. And these people are not concerned so much when it's a baby that we're enjoying these Christmas holidays around. But what we need to realize is Jesus did not stay a baby forever. In fact, he grew up and even at 12 years old, confounded the most indoctrinated and the most educated in religion. He taught people so much so that they could not even argue at all with a 12 year old child. He grows up to be a man and the scholars and the lawyers of the day came to verbally abuse Jesus and attack him. Try catching him in his words. You know what I'm talking about, the Pharisees. They would show up and say, oh, Jesus, the law says that we should do this. What do you say we should do? 
trying to cause confrontation and trying to cause division. And every single time that man who was once just that little baby shows exactly who he is. You cannot catch Jesus in his words. You cannot beat Jesus. You will never defeat Jesus. And Jesus showed throughout his ministry he was not just a baby. And he was not just a man, but he truly was God in the flesh. A concerned reaction. Finally, and I want you to see this, and this is really the entirety of the message, verse number 8, a charade of worship. That's the last trait of this charade, a charade of worship. Verse number 8, the Bible says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found uh, him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. First of all, this charade was deceptive. Herod had no desire to worship this child. Herod did not want to be second to any. In fact, you may not know very much about Herod, but Herod killed his own wife and his own children to get where he was. He was a manipulative and self... Let me see. Self-promoting. There we go. We were close there. A self-promoting man. He would do anything to get one up on everybody else. That was Herod. So you think when these wise men show up and they say, there's a baby going to be born king of the Jews. You think Herod's just going to undo all that he's done to get where he is and just say, oh, I'll gladly bow at the feet of this Jesus. Oh, he was deceptive. Did you know that one of the best strategies for uh, pirates was to fly false colors? And what that means is uh, they would find a friendly flag. And as these ships were on their trade routes, what the pirates would do is they would put up a flag that was friendly to that particular vessel. And so as the man on the crow's nest looked out across at the other vessel, he would see on the mast of that vessel a friendly flag. And he would yell down to his captain, friendly And they would get closer together thinking that they were going to trade or thinking they were going to barter or thinking they were going to do something kind. And what would happen is the pirates at the last moment when there was no escape for the other vessel, they would pull down the friendly colors and throw up their pirate flag. What the world's doing is being very deceptive with this Christmas holiday. They're flying friendly colors, but Jesus promised us If the world hated you, know that it hated me before you. There is nothing that this world wants to do with Jesus. There are people in this world that despise the fact that you're in this building tonight. There are people in this world that literally put an X on Christmas instead of writing out the word Christ. You don't think there's a a, a little bit of despise? You don't think there's a little bit of anger and hostility towards the fact that this holiday bears the name of Christ? Oh, people hate this holiday. They hate what it stands for. And so they've been very deceptive with what they've done with it. Not only were they deceptive, they were destructive. If you look in verse number 16, you find out exactly what Herod's plan was. Then Herod, when he had saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under. 
He wanted to destroy everything about this king of kings that was to be born. He wanted nothing to do with him, and he was going to do everything he can to destroy everything he stood for. What I'm noticing is this world has become so creative. They've sold us a story that makes our children feel good. They've made movies and and videos about it so that our kids would believe that this holiday is about something different than what it truly is. They've taken a man with a jolly smile and put him as the forefront, and all the while he increases and Jesus decreases. You don't think it's true? Oh, they've been deceptive, but they've been destructive. You know what the best strategy for a magician is? In fact, every magician I've ever seen, we went up to the Gaylord one time with a young professional class. And this guy was dressed up in Western attire, tremendous magician. He would come around to the tables and he would do little tricks there. I remember he had this little cup, like a metal cup. And uh, he, would, he had a tennis ball and he would do what, you're, if you know what a shell game is, he would take these cups and he would put the tennis ball under one cup and he would do the shell game. And that's where you have three cups, and he moves the cups outside, inside, outside, inside. He says, now which one is the tennis ball under? And you've clearly been following the cup that the tennis ball was placed under. But what happens is when you pick that cup, it's never there. It's always somehow made its way to another cup. That's not even the best part of the trick. What would happen is he would then pick up, uh, he would go, these cups were barely big enough to fit the tennis ball in at all. And he would say, now which one is the tennis ball under? And he'd pick it up, and you finally got it right. But he, said, he would always say something to the effect of, well, it was going to be tough to be wrong on that one. He'd pick up every single cup, and every one of them would have a tennis ball under it. He started with one, and somehow now he's got three. He would do it one last time. And I don't know how he would do this, But he would pick up one cup, barely big enough for a tennis ball to fit under, and three balls would fall out of the cup. And you're thinking, what in the world? I remember he did a trick one time. He took my friend Cody Sears' ring off of his finger, put it in a sealed envelope in a zipped-up wallet in his pocket while we're watching him do the trick. Never in our wildest dreams did we think he could do that. Well, I ain't even going to say what happened next, but Cody was freaked out. He felt violated because this man had done so many things to him. You know what they do? They make you watch this hand so you don't concentrate on what's in this one. Be very careful. We're almost done. Make sure Santa's not the one with the glitz and the glamour while this one's destroying the integrity of this holiday. All this Christ and keeping in in Christmas, a lot of it's just a charade. Because if they could, they would destroy the very fabric of what this holiday is. They want it to be about presents, and they want it to be about lights, and they want it to be about candy canes, and they want it to be about family and, and peace on earth, and they want it to be about joy, and they want it to be about singing. It's a charade. I literally looked up Justin Bieber's Christmas album. You know what's on there? Joy to the world in Silent Night. Justin Bieber singing about Silent Night. It's a charade. This world wants you to think that it's okay, that they can get along with Jesus. But make sure, and I'm speaking to you adults right now, make sure your children know what this is about. 
make sure that, and it's hard as a child not to focus on the glitz and the glamour. It's hard not to watch the cartoons, the Rudolph and, and the Frosty and enjoy the spirit of the holiday. Make sure, parents, make sure adults, make sure young adults that you are preaching a message that Christ is Christmas. And we're not going to bow down to any fat man anytime soon, whether his name's Santa or Buddha. Make sure Christ is not a charade in this Christmas.